The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Amen. Thank you, Evan and Sophie. Hey, Wednesday nighters. It's been a while. It's good to be back here with you guys. Um, It's been an unusual and long absence for me on Wednesday nights, but um, it's good to be back. Will you turn to Mark chapter 14? If we could, maybe somebody hit those, uh, never mind, Sam's got it. That's why he makes the big bucks. Mark chapter 14 is we're going to be tonight. And I'm going to give you the big takeaway first. I'm going to spoil the ending. Are you guys ready? If you're taking notes, this is what I want you to write down. If you're not taking notes, I want you to get a pen and take notes. This is the big takeaway here, okay? It is a beautiful thing when the value of Jesus and the affection of his followers match. It is a beautiful thing when the value of Jesus and the affection of his followers match up, when we see those things come into symmetry, it is a beautiful thing. And we struggle understanding this, not because Jesus' value is up and down. He's not like the stock market, right? He's infinitely valued. The problem is our own sinfulness, our own fallenness, and we have a difficult time coming to grips sometimes with the understanding or realizing exactly how valuable Jesus is. And for some of us, it takes a cataclysmic event in life to bring this to a a sense of reality for us. Maybe we end up in a place where that's all we've got, where we've lost everything else that we thought held value, that we thought was a treasure that was worth hanging on to. Maybe we've lost that and we only had Jesus left and then we come to the realization of how amazing he is. Um, Or maybe it's just plain old a breaking in us that has to happen. A breaking of our affections, a breaking of our, our sinfulness, a breaking of our patterns, our lifestyle, whatever the case may be. But for a lot of people, it becomes a, a break. Something traumatic has to happen for us to realize how infinitely valuable Jesus is. It's evidence of our sinfulness and our idolatry and our, our lost hearts. But when our affections begin to match up his worth, if that's possible, and I'm, I'm using that phrase loosely, I do understand, because how could we ever possibly love him as much as he's worth? But if, if we get to those places in life where our affections for him, our love for him, our draw towards him somehow matches up to some degree or another with how infinitely valuable he is, it is a beautiful thing and it affects everyone around us. So that's the conclusion. Ready to pray? Amen. But we're going to start in Mark chapter 14 with that in mind, and this is what we're going to be looking at. So let's look at Mark chapter 14, verse 1. I'm going to read through the whole thing. I'm going to pray for wisdom from God as we teach, and, uh, and then we'll go through it. So verse 1 says, It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, 
As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. And she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And when Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad. And they promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would teach your word to us tonight. I pray, God, you would speak to us from the very pages of your scripture. For, Lord, the word tells us that your word is true. It is living. It is active. It is effectual. Your word tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was God. And he tabernacled amongst us. And God, we ask for that same miracle again now. That your Holy Spirit would be in this place to bring this word alive to us. I pray, God, you would not only give us some sort of knowledge that we might walk away from this place puffed up or, God forbid, entertained. But I pray, God, that you would speak to your servants and that your words would find home in willing servants of your word that we might live these very things by the power of your spirit and by your grace. So we bow before you, Lord. You are our king and our master. And we pray, God, and those that would join with me, have your way in us as we open your word. So may the words of my mouth, Lord, and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, my King and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Mark chapter 14, working our way through the book of Mark, and we come to this place, it's the final week of Jesus' life, it's Passover week, and it's a big week for those in Israel. Um, when Easter comes along, for example, it's a big week here for the church. We start planning Easter services and Easter activities usually a couple of months before Easter rolls around. We do the same thing at Christmas. We've already had meetings. Here's how we're going to lay out the Christmas season. Here's what we want to look at. Here's when we're going to meet. Here's when we're not going to meet. Because it's a big event. There's a lot of people that come in. There's a lot of uh, uh, work involved in that. Sam alone has to go through the nightmare that is learning Christmas carols on a guitar. You have no idea how hard that is. Christmas carols are written for a piano. They're not written for guitars. It'd be like the equivalent of just playing all the black keys. It's just awkward. And so there's a lot that goes into those big holiday-type services when people come in. There's a ton of work that goes into that stuff. So here's these guys in Jerusalem. One of the feasts that all Jewish men are supposed to come into Jerusalem for, there's people already flooding into the city. We've already seen this in weeks past as we're looking at this. There's a lot going on. So why in the world, of all the time, are they stopping and going, we got to deal with this Jesus guy? We need a plan. We need an opportunity. 
There's a debate. We, we should wait. It's going to cause an uproar. All this stuff. Why? What is it that has happened that has caused this to suddenly become like we cannot put this off any longer. We need a plan. What are we going to do? Because of all the weeks in the world that you would think they could put that on the back burner for just one more week. They've been dealing with it for three years. So if they can't just put up with it for one more week, what is it that happened? Well, the book of John and its account of this particular story is actually my favorite account of this particular story. It gives details in the book of John that Mark leaves out that I believe add a ton of understanding to what's going on in this particular passage. So tonight for our study in the book of John, we're going to start... Try that again. Tonight, for our study in the book of Mark, we're going to study Mark from the book of John. So we're going to label it Mark on the website. We're in the book of Mark together. Mark logo's up there, but we're going to turn to John. Will you turn to John chapter 12 for me? John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And we instantly get understanding of why the pressure has been turned up on these religious leaders. It says in verse 1 of John chapter 12, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So this is on the heels of one of the more miraculous and important and amazing events that has happened in Jesus' ministry, walking the earth up to this point. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus has been in Bethany. A man was dead for four days. Jesus came to the tomb, said, open the tomb. No, he stinks. You guys remember all this, like really dead. Like not just like kind of dead, like really, really dead. You know how like this time of year you see like there's deer on the side of the road and some see you're like, you're like, ooh, that's dead. And then you see those ones, you're like, oh, that's really dead. Really dead, right? And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man gets up and walks out of the grave. Now, we, especially those of us, I'll say we that grew up in the church, we that have learned these stories for years and years and years and years, I think we forget how ridiculous that is. For days now, a dead man has been walking around Israel. For days now, a guy who used to be dead is now alive. That's difficult for a scribe or a Pharisee. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how much theology you know. It's really hard to argue with Jesus when the dead guy is walking around going, <clears throat> I'm here. That makes things tough. You know what I mean? You're not the son of God. And Jesus is like, um, exhibit A. I mean, that's really difficult to argue. They've argued theology. They've argued methods. They've tried to pick apart his people. They've tried to pick apart his lineage. They've attacked all sorts of things. But now there's this dead guy that is walking around, and there's no getting around that. And so it says at the end of that account in John chapter 11, verse 57, the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So they've made their decision because of the resurrection of Lazarus from the grave. We cannot ignore this anymore. We've got to deal with this. And they've already issued orders that says, if you know where he is, let us know. We're going to arrest him. And now we find that Jesus is returning to Bethany. He's walking into the danger. He's walking into the difficulty, not away from it. And so verse 2 then in John 12 says, So they gave a dinner for him there. 
Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. It's hard to imagine that this is an accident when you consider so many of the events that Jesus is doing, whether it be the triumphant entry, meals like this, things that Jesus did to intentionally, if you will, force the people. I mean, we already know they've said, okay, we need to arrest him. We need to kill him. We can't kill him on the week of Passover, though. That's going to cause a riot. But Jesus is doing things, it would seem. And it would seem as if this is one of them. To force the issue because God already has a plan. Remember, Jesus is going to die on Passover, not because it's just a big holiday and people are in town. He's going to die on Passover because he is the Passover lamb that this Passover feast has been pointing to for centuries now. Okay? So this is forced and this is planned. This is God being sovereign over all of these things. And so they throw this feast. He's just raised Lazarus from the dead. And they throw a meal. And you got Martha there doing what Martha does. And God bless all the Marthas in the world. We need them. She's there serving and cooking and doing all this stuff with the gift of hospitality. Lazarus, he's there. He's alive still. Hanging out here with Jesus at this meal. It's a really significant event going on here. And then it says this in verse, uh, verse 3. So Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anoints the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So notice, Mary therefore. So they're having a dinner. Jesus is the guest of honor. Their recently raised brother is right there at the table. This is clearly an opportunity for them to worship and thank and honor Jesus. It's done this amazing work in their lives. Therefore, Mary takes this ointment. This is a planned event. Mary takes this ointment, this really expensive perfume, because of what Jesus has done. It says that it's a, a pound. Other translations would say liter. The exact, if you're a, a science geek and you want to know, it's about 11 and a half ounces. So think about a soda can. That's how much perfume we're talking about. About a soda can worth of this really expensive, very costly perfume. And she pours it out on Jesus' feet. And she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. And the scriptures say that the entire house, verse 3, was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. Now let's be honest. It's a little weird. It's a little, you can laugh at that. That's okay. It's a little awkward. It's a little strange. Like, not only is it, I mean, think about this, soda can, right, poured out over the feet, hair, wiping all of this up. You know, Jesus is going to wash feet later with cloths, not Mary. She's going to use hair and pours the entire thing out on the feet, and the aroma has filled the house. It's this seemingly strange thing. Why does she do this? The reason that she does this is she is absolutely, this is important to understand as we look at the rest of this tonight, She is absolutely filled with wonder, amazement, and gratitude at the fact that her brother is sitting here at the table having a meal with them. This is a planned and important act of worship, seeing what's going on. That's why they're having this meal. And she takes this ointment, she's pouring this out on his feet. There's this opportunity for gratitude, and it's also a recognition of what Jesus has already told her in John chapter 11, verse 25, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Words given to Martha, Mary's sister with them both there at the tomb. So now Jesus is there. There's this incredible act of worship. The house is filled with this aroma. The dead guy's there. 
eating. Everything's happening. And here's the Son of God at the table with them. And remember too, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he didn't do it for Lazarus' benefit. He actually prays, Lord, so that they might believe. So even in that, the idea is he's doing this so that they would understand who he is. And he's in their house. And this is poured out in worship. There's this amazing thing going on. And then Judas speaks up. It says in verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This is an unbelievable objection in the moment of what's going on. I mean, don't think for a second any of these people didn't know what's going on here. The reality of the situation that's just happened with with Lazarus right here and these two that have been worshiping him and following him for so long. Like, this is a significant moment going on here. And they're pouring this out, this act of worship, and she's wiping her hair. This is an obvious act of incredible worship and humility. And then Lazarus just pipes up with this just incredible objection. I mean, it's one thing to think it. He says it. And he says to everybody in this room, why is she doing this? Why wasn't this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? And as the book of Mark says, he scolds her. And other disciples seem to be joining in with him. They scold her. What are you doing? Stop it. Why are you doing this? It seems absurd. Now listen to this. This is what you need to understand. Judas's actions here are not just like, oh, he just doesn't get it. Like, I want you to understand where this is going for him. Judas's actions in this very moment right here aren't just sinful. They are. They're also suicidal. Know this. These are suicidal actions that Judas is taking. This is going to set him on a course so that by the end of the week he will be dead, hanging from a tree. Then on the ground, literally burst open. And this is the moment. This is when it all changes. This is when he's done, I'm done with you, and I'm moving on over here. By the end of the week he's going to be dead. We're going to get to that in a minute. But I want you to understand the gravity of what's going on. This is a pivotal moment, at least in Judas's life. But it's also one that Jesus even says, forever they're going to talk about this. Forever they're going to talk about this. So Judas is reacting. He has this objection. His reaction, though, is not about our actions. He's seen people throw themselves at the feet of Jesus before. He's seen people worshiping Jesus and, and all. He's seen this before. The issue is not that, he's throw, that this woman's here doing this. The issue is the extravagance of it. That's the issue that, Jod- that Judas is dealing with here. He says, we could have sold this for 300 denarii. Now, a denarii in that day is the equivalent of one full day's wage. One full day. So you're talking about 300, almost a full year, 300 days wages that's being poured out in this ointment on his feet. So I just did some math. And let's figure, just to ma- help us be able to understand what's going on. If we just use $9 an hour, because it was considered a day's wage for a normal, normal laborer. So, so if we just take $9 an hour as like a baseline kind of, a, I think that's even below minimum wage actually here in Oregon. So we'll just use that. In that day, it was uh, um, understood that when you went to work, it was a 12-hour work day while you were there. So let's figure you're making $9 an hour on a 12-hour day. 
And they worked six days. They didn't work, uh, they didn't have two days off like we do. They had one day off. So when you do the math on that, you come up to about three thousand, or excuse me, $32,700. Just think about that for a minute. I mean, many of us don't even own things that are worth $32,700, especially something that we could just pour out. And she just takes this one jar that's worth $32,000. And not like, I'm going to give a couple hundred here, and then a couple hundred there, and then we'll go a couple days, his feet will get dirty again, and we'll go a couple hundred more, but I'm going to make it like she pours out $32,000, $32,700 worth of ointment on Jesus' feet right then, and starts wiping his feet with her hair. It's incredibly extravagant. So Judas is reacting to her extravagance, But he's reacting to her extravagance because his value system is completely different than hers. Completely different than hers. He values something else, and that is money. Judas values money. I mean, think about this. Mary is absolutely over the top in her expression of love to Jesus. But Judas, while Mary's pouring out $32,000 worth of perfume as an offering on Jesus's feet. Judas is going to go sell Jesus for a thousand. It's the difference in the value system here. So this is not a guess on our part. Verse six gives us Judas's heart very clearly. He says, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So this is not a guess. This is Judas's heart. Mary's heart is overflowing with love and gratitude to Jesus. Judas's heart feels none of that. Mary loves Jesus. Judas loves money. And so verse 7, after Judas has scolded her, he's called her out. What are you doing? Jesus uses strong words. And he says in verse 7, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So Jesus uses really strong words of rebuttal here. And he tells Judas, leave her alone. And he gives her three reasons why Judas needs to leave her alone. So we're just going to look at those three things. I'm going to look at them in reverse order, actually, just because I feel like it. And then we're going to explain and kind of help understand what it is that Jesus is saying here. So the three reasons, just quickly to give the list, are this. Number one, in verse 8 of the second half, he says, You don't always have me. Leave her alone, Judas. You won't always have me. Number two, the beginning of verse 8. Leave her alone, Judas. The poor you will always have with you. And then number three, verse 7 so that she may keep it for my burial. Judas, leave her alone so that she may keep this for my burial. So what does he mean by these? Let's look at these really quickly. Number one. Number one, so that she, or excuse me, you won't always have me. This relates to the value of Jesus. When Jesus says, Judas, leave her alone, you won't always have me. This is speaking to the value of Jesus. He's saying to Judas, look, this isn't about the poor, Judas. This is about me. You won't always have me. 
You, you'll have the poor all the time, but you're not always going to have me, Judas. This is about me. Jesus, as I already said, had said to her in John eleven twenty five, 25, said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? I am the resurrection and the life. It's not like I'm pretty valuable. It's not like I'm a pretty good guy to have around or I'm a good king or a good teacher. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am above and far beyond anything you could possibly be thinking right now. You're thinking your brother's in this grave dead and he has no shot at ever walking around again. And you're here talking to me, weeping, saying, where were you? But I'm telling you, you think, where were you? You could have healed him because he was sick. And I'm more than that. I'm more than a doctor that can heal sick people. I am the resurrection and the life. And four days worth of death is nothing to me. You have no clue who I am. You have no clue how valuable I am. You have no clue how powerful I am. So Judas, what do you value? Because you only have me for a little bit longer, Judas. I'm going to be gone soon. Number two, he says, the poor you will always have. Now, this relates to Judas's love of money. The scriptures tell us this, that Judas didn't say this because he actually cared about the poor. This was a cover. The poor was a cover for Judas's covetousness. He wanted the money in the sack so he could actually take it. And so here, Judas is covering his covetousness. And Jesus is saying, look, your heart is wrong, Judas. Your heart is wrong. Mary's heart here is one of pure love, affection, and worship. And your heart is wrong, Judas. Leave her alone. She sees my value. You see none of this. Shut up with this, Judas. Leave her alone. She sees me as the resurrection and the life. You see a payday. And then number three. He says, so that she may keep it for my burial. And this relates to whether Mary is going to be able to keep on treasuring Jesus even after he's gone. Now I want to break these three down just for a minute. And I want us to think about this because this is really, really important. And I want to invite you to let the Lord and let the Lord's word do a little bit of heart surgery on each and every one of us for this. Because this is a big deal. The lines are drawn here. It's Judas and it's Mary, and there's no in-between here. I, I once heard someone uh, uh, talk about that um, he was kind of like classifying people. He was just kind of a, I don't know, he's a film director or someone like this. And he said, I believe that there's only two kinds of people in the world, Beatles fans and Elvis fans. He said, you're one or the other, but no one's both. Oh, you might be okay with both, but you're either a Beatles type of a person or you're an Elvis type of a person. And he went down to kind of break this whole thing down. And obviously we should all be Beatles type people because Elvis was weird. But um, th this is the idea. Like there's no in between. There's no gray area here. The lines in this are clearly and absolutely drawn. There is Jesus and there is Mary. And listen, every one of you in this room is closer to one than the other. Everyone in this room. So understand this. You are like one of these because the Bible says no one can serve two masters. So let's think about this for a minute. Why does Judas tell Mary, or excuse me, tell Ju why does Jesus tell Judas, leave Mary alone? Reason number one, because you will not always have me with you. Think, just think how sad this is. 
Just think about this. Judas has been walking with Jesus for three years. He's seen things we would, we would do anything to have seen some of those. Some of us, our bucket list trip is just to go to Israel just to see the place where it probably happened in a lot of these areas. And he's walked with Jesus for three years. He's seen it all. He's not just seen it all, he's done it too. Remember, the disciples were sent out two by two to heal the sick and to cast out demons and to do all this. Judas has had a front row seat. And because he's the money holder, he's had a seat of authority as he's with the disciples of Jesus Christ. And for three years, he's been walking with Jesus. And he, listen to me, he's been walking with Jesus for three years and he is as good as dead. Think about that. He's seen all of this stuff and he is a dead man walking. And in six days or less, he's going to be dead, hanging from a tree. He's going to take his own life. After watching Jesus, front row seat, for three years. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word came, he tabernacled amongst us, and Judas missed it all, and then sold Jesus for a thousand bucks. Let that sink in for just a second. The creator of heaven and earth, and he sold him. For $1,000 after spending three years. I, I've, I've heard it said before, I think it was R.C. Sproul or some sort of theologian. He said, I don't care what anyone says, I don't care what anyone argues. Deep down, everyone knows God exists. Don't tell me Judas didn't know. He knew, he saw. And he's a dead man walking. Do you know, do you realize how many people? walk into churches week after week after week and they hear about the glory of God and they get the opportunity to worship God and to pray to God and to read the word of God and to hear the testimonies of God and to hear the, uh, the stories of what God has done and value none of it. Week after week and it means nothing to them. Nothing. Nothing. But Mary, oh, she gets it, man. <laughs> My brother is alive. He was dead. <laughs> he just said, come forth. And there he is. He's alive. I will give him everything. I'll give him everything. Because he is more valuable and more important to me than some bottle of perfume. I don't care if it's worth a million dollars. He's better. I will give him everything. She gets it. And you see this incredible symmetry here where the value of Jesus comes in line with the affections that someone has for Jesus once their life has been unarguably changed by Jesus. And there's this symmetry here, and it is beautiful. And the entire house benefits from it. It says the entire house was filled with the aroma. And her, for days, she's going to walk around, and her hair is still going to smell like worship. Like expensive, valuable, $32,000 worth of worship. And you know what's weird if you think about it? Let's just think of the reality of it. If you pour out a whole can, a soda can of perfume on someone's feet and then wipe it up with your long hair, a day later, what's going to have the aroma more? The reality of it is all this that she poured out, she ends up carrying all this around. It's unbelievable this act that she's doing here. Everyone around her is going to benefit from this. Everyone, she gets it. So why does she pour it on his feet? 
You ever wonder about that? Why? Why not pour it on his head? It makes me think of John the Baptist. Remember when John the Baptist was talking about Jesus before people really realized who he was and that he was on the scene? And do you remember what he said? He said, I'm baptizing you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. The, listen, the worst of Jesus. In that culture, your feet, that's it. It's bottom of the barrel. Your feet are nasty and dirty and gross. I lived in Mexico for a significant period. We wore flip-flops every single day. You had to buy that sandpaper stuff and like scrape and all. I don't think they had those at Target in Jesus' day. But you ended up with nasty, nasty feet. And in Israel, it was an insult to touch someone else's feet. That's why Jesus, when he washes the apostles' feet, there was no other thing he could have done that would show such humility before them. And, and so here's what's happening here. The worst, if you will, give me this grace to say that, the worst of Jesus is worth everything that we have. You understand that? Like that, That's how incredibly valuable he is. And then she uses her hair, which you guys know, we looked at it not all that long ago in Corinthians. It says that the woman's hair, what? It's her glory. So it's the best of her and the worst of him. It's the, the, everything she owns, everything she has, her hair wiping at his feet. Why not a cloth like Jesus did? Because this is her pouring herself out. And why? Because of what's happened. Her brother's alive. He's been incredibly good to them. You, you remember the story of Peter when he was fishing? You guys remember that? I'm not catching nothing. It's a waste of time. I might as well go back in. Jesus says, no, cast your nets on the other side. Well, it's a waste of time, but okay, we'll do it. You guys remember? Throws the nets in, starts pulling up fish, pulls up so many fish that now two boats are sinking as because of it. And what was Peter's reaction? He throws himself down at Jesus' feet and he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When did Jesus talk about sin? <laughs> when did Jesus point sin out? No, the goodness of Christ. It is his kindness that leads to repentance. And over and over and over, you see when people have an interaction with the living God, over and over, it puts them on their face before him. And this is what's happening. She knows who he is. She understands how valuable he is. She understands that he is infinitely more valuable than the greatest treasure the world could possibly provide. And she is worshiping him. She gets it. So leave her alone, Judas. Leave her alone. She understands who I am. She understands my worth. The second one again, reason number two, Judas, leave her alone because the poor you always have with you. The poor you always have with. Don't you love how, it's almost like Jesus gives him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, isn't it? But we also know better than that. He wasn't fooling Jesus. Jesus, several times, people are trying to commit themselves to him. And it says to, in the scriptures, um, in one place in particular in Mark, it says that, that he would not commit himself to them because he knew it was in the heart of a man. He knew that Jesus was going to betray, or Judas was going to betray him. He, he knew these things. He understood these things. He wasn't pulling a fast one on Jesus. And Jesus was like, oh, we're missing money? Oh, my goodness, where did it go? That's not, not what was going on here. But he almost gives him that grace, if not trying to help him have some sort of dignity in front of, el in front of everyone else. But he is poking on this cover. And he says, listen, all the money in the world 
cannot equal Jesus. This is going at Judas's covetousness. Remember, this, his, this whole, this is for the poor, is a cover for the fact that he wants the money. That's all he's after. And, and you have to understand this. All the money in the world cannot equal the value of Jesus. But even the smallest amounts of money in the world can keep you from Jesus. Please know that. All the money in the world cannot equal Jesus, but it can absolutely keep you from Jesus. I want you to think for just a minute. Do we have that slide? Did we make a slide of that, First Timothy? I want you to think about these words that the Apostle Paul said. And here, don't read it yet. Look at me. Don't cheat. But think about this. Where did Paul learn this? When Paul writes this, what's he thinking about? What's he been taught? What does he understand as he writes about money and our heart? Look at, look at this. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. I'm sure he probably had lots of examples. I mean, he went through the power system, if you will, in Israel as a Pharisee. So he probably had a lot. But doesn't that sound really familiar, knowing what's about to happen to this man Judas? Judas is desiring and he is chasing something that Jesus said it, Paul said it, and Judas proves it. Listen, the love of money is suicidal. This idolatry, this I'm going to put something ahead of Jesus and this is what I'll pursue instead of this. It's not just bad. It's not just unhelpful. It's not just going to set you up for difficulty. It is straight up suicidal. It is suicide. Jesus himself teaches in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, but you cannot serve God and money. And Judas, at this point's heart is completely consumed with this drive towards money. And Jesus is saying to him, the poor you're going to have forever. I'm only going to be here a little bit longer, and then you'll never see me again, and you're going to die you will never, just think about that reality. Judas will never be in the presence of Jesus again. Because he's going to go sell Jesus for $1,000. Won't even have a chance to spend it. He'll throw the money back at feet, and then he'll go and hang himself. So leave her alone, Judas. You love money, not me. And number three is this. That she might keep it for the day of my burial. This one's a little harder. Commentators, scholars, theologians, they're all over the place on this one. Like you read 10 different guys, you get 10 different viewpoints on what Jesus is talking about when he says this. So it's not like me to speak something that could be considered almost speculative. I think maybe speculative is a strong word. Uh, but depending on who you read, depending on who you think, um, the, a lot of different opinions on what this means. But let me throw something at you just for you to consider. Uh, the, the, the reality of it, the, the application of it is absolutely true at least. Okay? 
So people will say, that she might keep it for the day for my burial. This is what she meant to do, Judas. People will say, leave her alone. She brought this to anoint me for the day of my burial. And then there's translation that makes it difficult, even in Mark, the way they work this out. But even that's translation errors off the original text is difficult. So a lot of people will say, this is the, the idea. She's saving it for my burial. But then others will say, but wait, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. She wants to keep it for the day of my burial, but she just poured this out, Judas, so it, it becomes really difficult. So there's a lot of controversy on what does this really mean and what does the original Greek mean and all these kinds of things. But think of it back this way. If we could just take it straight for what it says right here, she meant to keep this for the day of my burial. What is this thing that he's saying she wants to keep for the day of my burial? If you just read, just read John for what it says, it becomes real difficult to say that it's the perfume, doesn't it? Because she's poured it out. There's no keeping the perfume at this point. She took $32,000, and that has now been, if you will, spent. That's gone. And, and Judas is now criticizing her for it. And Jesus says, leave her alone that she might keep this for the day. But when you look at the language, here's what we see. Jesus is clearly saying, Judas, I want you to stop talking like this because something negative is going to result from the fact that you're talking to her in this way. There's something that she has now that she's not going to have if this thought process you have continues to come forth. So stop talking to her so that she may keep it. So what is it? What's Jesus talking about? Let me just throw one possibility out for you to consider for our purposes tonight. One of the possibilities is this. Let's go back to the context. What's Mary doing? Why is she doing this? Why does this dinner even exist in the first place? What's going on here? She is pouring herself out and she's pouring everything that she owns out worshiping Jesus in absolute amazement at what? His power over death. That's what they're celebrating. That's what Lazarus is a reminder of. It's the very promise that Jesus gave to them right before he calls their brother out of death that I am the resurrection and the life and this understanding and this reality has played out in her family in a way that is unique in history. So this is what's going on here. And so I would throw it at you this way. Judas, leave her alone. Leave her alone that she might keep this, this moment, this confidence, this understanding, this belief in who I am that I have power over life and death because Judas, she's going to need this in a few days. So stop squelching it. And if your philosophy and your belief system keeps coming, then there's going to be a day when I'm cold and dead. And there's no sending for me in another town because I'm the one that's put in the grave. And she's going to need confidence, Judas. Because if she doesn't, she's going to think like you do, that this was a waste. Not, not just the perfume. All of this was a waste. And she's going to be rocked like many of the apostles were, like the men on the road to Emmaus were. And she's going to need this, this understanding, this belief, or she's going to think it's all a waste. And there's many that would take this even a step further and say that one of the Marys, and there's a lot of Mary confusion in the Bible, there just is. But there's others that would say that this is the Mary, who is one of the Marys, who is actually at the tomb and encounters Jesus right off the bat while the apostles were still running and hiding. That's speculatory for sure. But there's application for this, and this is what I want us to think through here, and we're, be, we're done here. Application is this, number one. When anything or anyone around you 
tries to temper your affection for Jesus, your worship for Jesus, your offering to Jesus, and tries to get you to hold this back, listen to me, do not listen to them. Be lavish. Worship Jesus with everything you have and with everything that you are. You will never regret that on that side of eternity. There will be times when we will, we will come to a place, every one of us at the end of our life, and I've had the opportunity to spend time with people in their last days, when they knew that it was their last days, and I have heard a lot of regret. I wish I had a, I wish I had a, I've never heard anyone say, I spent too much time worshiping and serving Jesus. Never heard that in my life. So when anything says, that's a bit much, he is so worth it. He's so worth it, which is number two. When a voice tempts you with the desire to be rich, do not listen. It is suicidal to desire wealth. Jesus is your treasure. Jesus is your treasure. Not things that moth and rust corrupts, not the money that you have, not the house that you live in. Jesus Christ is your treasure. Paul, when he teaches in Ephesians 3.8, he says that he is appointed to go to the Gentiles to teach of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Jesus Christ is your treasure. Do not let the junk of this world get in the way of that. That's good to remember with the holiday season coming when stuff tends to take center stage. Jesus is your treasure. Money can never compare to Jesus, but it can keep you from him. And number three is this. If any voice ever tells you that Jesus Christ is not alive and that all this is a waste, do not listen. Do not listen. I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? These are Jesus' words to Mary and Martha as their brother lie temporarily dying in a tomb. So in case you just needed a reminder today, can I just give it? He's alive. He's God. He is in control. He is more valuable than anything. Some of you freaked out already this week because of work stuff. Some of you have freaked out already this week because of money, relationships, you name it, all sorts of things. But if you have Jesus Christ, you are privy to the unsearchable relationships of the very Son of God. And He is alive, and He cares, and He's coming. Don't forget that. Amen? Let's pray. Will you stand with me? God, we need this reminder ourselves, Lord. Because it is so easy for the difficulties and disappointments and fears and worries of this world, Lord, to push this understanding out of our mind, to cause us to take our eyes off of you. Lord, we look to difficulties and worries. We look to idols. We look to money. Lord, our hearts are wicked. And Lord, we seek after things so easily. Our flesh is so weak. 
But God, tonight, by your grace, you have given us this reminder that you are infinitely worth more than we can ever imagine. That your resurrection is real. That real life is in you. That the snares of this world will kill us, but Lord, in you there is life. And so, God, I pray you would give us, Lord, a new focus tonight. Lord, a lens that we can look through at everything. Whether it's deciding how to use money, relationships, jobs, careers, education, any of those things, God. We can look at all those things through the reality that you are the king, that you are alive, that you are Lord of all, and that you are infinitely more valuable than anything we can imagine. And so I pray, God, that every aspect of our life would become an act of worship poured out before you. That, Lord, we might not love our lives more than you. That we might seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That we might seek you, Lord, and not worry over clothing or home. That, Lord, we might pour our lives continually out before you, a worthy and appropriate sacrifice. That we might be transformed by the renewing of our mind and not conform to the world around us. And Lord, that we might carry the the fragrance and the aroma of worship everywhere we go. So God, may we worship you with every aspect of our lives. And I pray, God, that for everyone here, that it might be said of us as it was those disciples, that even those who did not believe in you took note and knew that they had been with Jesus. May that be us, Lord. May we carry the aroma of worship because we've seen how good you have been to us. We see how amazing and powerful you are. And that our lives have been forever changed by you. And may we carry that everywhere we go. I pray, God, you would give everyone here strength. I pray, God, you would give them rest tonight. I pray, God, you would give them resolve to follow you in every aspect of life. I pray, God, you would protect them from harm unless, Lord, there's things that we just have to walk through that we might be drawn more into your very countenance, God. And if that be the case, then may we have the strength to walk through any storm that we might be more like you when we come out of it. Because, God, the world needs you. And may you speak to it through us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. I love you guys. Hey, spend time with Jesus this week. Bible study's over tonight, tomorrow morning. You're going to need Jesus again. Amen? Spend some time with him, and we'll see you Sunday morning. God bless.